Hallelujah, he is risen. Easter Sunday. Today we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. So much has transpired this last week. One week ago we shouted, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Five short days louder, we joined the angry mob in shouting, Away with him. Away with him. Crucify him. Crucify him. And today, today we shout, Alleluia, he is risen. Violet was ready. I don't know what the rest of you are. In John's accounts of the resurrection story, it begins in the darkness, similar to the way our service today began in darkness. For John often has this interplay between darkness and light. For Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. Jesus refers to himself as the light of the world. And in the very beginning of John's Gospel, John tells us, In him was life, and the life was a light to all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. Today, we celebrate light. Light shining in darkness. The darkness will not overcome it. The darkness will not have the last word. The darkness will not win. We live in the hope of the resurrection. Mary came to the tomb while it was still dark. I wonder if she simply couldn't wait until daylight. She knew he was no longer alive after all. Hours before, she had watched him die. We are pretty sure that she was expecting Jesus to still be there dead. And yet when she arrives, the stone is rolled away. And I can imagine, possibly for a moment, just one moment, Mary might have let her guard down and began to hope. Maybe there was something to what Jesus had been saying. But then, the lived reality of the world set in. People don't just resurrect from the dead. Someone must have removed the body. Maybe someone stole Jesus' body. Maybe it's still in there and someone mutilated it. Maybe someone moved it to another location. Of all the possible explanations Mary could come up with, Jesus resurrecting apparently wasn't one of them. And for her, this week, just got worse. You ever have one of those? I mean, for, for, for Mary Magdalene, all the pomp and circumstances of Palm Sunday and the triumphal entry, but then Judas' betrayal, Jesus' arrest, Jesus' violent abuse, and then Jesus' horrendous death on, a, death on a cross. And now the body is missing? Could it possibly get any? John doesn't specifically tell us that Mary went into the tomb. Maybe she didn't. Maybe she was too afraid of what she would see. 
upon entering the city. So she takes off running, running away from all the darkness, running away from all the pain, running away from the past, running away from the hurt, the trauma, the tragedy. And she comes upon Peter and the other disciples. And she doesn't shout, Jesus is risen. Instead, she says to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they lay. So Peter and the other disciple began running to the tomb. The other disciple, who more than likely wrote the Gospel of John, mentioned three times that he was faster than Peter. He says the two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there, the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. Seems like he wanted everyone to know that he was considerably faster than Peter. And while the other disciple certainly outran Peter, he also didn't go into the he peered in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. And then Peter arrived, I imagine out of breath from trying to keep up with a faster disciple, and saw the linens lying there on the ground. And the cloth that had been on Jesus' head as Peter goes into the tomb. So why does John give us For if the people had removed the body, they wouldn't have stripped it first. They wouldn't have taken the trouble to remove the linen or to roll up the head wrap and put it in a place specifically by itself. They either would have removed the body with the linens on it or just kind of ripped them off and threw them on the ground. And so because of all of this, John tells us that the other disciples saw doesn't tell us about Peter's perspective from the same essence. Did Peter have that same sacred moment of belief or not? And once again, they, they don't run out and shout from the rooftop, Jesus is risen. He doesn't. They simply go home. All he tells us, he doesn't tell us, he tells us that the other disciple believed. He doesn't say anything about Peter, but he tells us that they simply returned like Mary, they're not running to tell anyone. They simply turn around and head home. And when we encounter the resurrected Christ, do we shout it from the rooftop? Or do we quietly head home? Then John picks up by telling us that Mary was standing outside of the tomb weeping. Doesn't specifically say how or when Mary got there. Apparently she's returned to the tomb. And she's out there weeping, and as she wept, she bent over and looked into the tomb and sees two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Who have taken away my Lord? I don't know where they've taken him, she said. And when she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she didn't know it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? She assumed that he was the gardener. She 
said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. I can just see Jesus with compassion, care in his eyes, turning to her, looking into her eyes, and saying, And in that exact moment, it clicked. She realized who he was. She went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. See, Mary doesn't recognize Jesus at first. She supposes him to be a gardener. But it is only after she heard her name that she was able to recognize who Jesus is. Like Mary. More often than not, we become so consumed with our own hurt, with our own wounds, with our own loss of hope, that we do not recognize when Jesus is speaking to us. Yet, just like with Mary, Jesus calls us by name and says, I know you. It was only through you, or through me, that you were created. You are deeply valuable to me. I love you more than you could possibly understand. You are love. I would rather die than spend eternity without you. I think that bears repeating. God in Christ would rather die than spend eternity without each one of us. Along that same line of thinking, there's a German theologian by the name of Jürgen Moltmann. And in his writing, The Crucified God, he writes these words. When God becomes man in Jesus of Nazareth, he not only enters into the finitude of man, but in his death on a cross, he also enters into the situation of man's God-forsakenness. For in Jesus, he does not die the natural death of a finite being, but the violent death of a criminal on a cross. The death of complete abandonment by God. The suffering and the passion of Jesus is abandonment. Rejection by God the Father. It's almost as if God in Christ experienced the absence of God's very own self for the sake of you and for the sake of me. Maltman continues, God does not become a religion so that man participates in him by corresponding religious thoughts and feelings. God does not become a law, so that man participates in him through obedience to a law. God does not become an ideal, so that man achieves community with him through constant striving. No, 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 Moltmann said. He humbles himself and takes upon himself the eternal death of the godless and God-forsaken, so that all the godless and God-forsaken can experience Last sentence, one, one more time. Moltmann says, this, talking about God and Christ, he humbles himself and takes upon himself the eternal death of the godless and God-forsaken so that all the godless and God-forsaken can experience communion with him. God and Christ would rather die than spend eternity without you. Jesus' death on the cross was not just a historical event, but a moment with deep theological meaning as well. For in Christ we are named as God's own forever. In Christ we are adopted into the family of God. In Christ we are forgiven of our sins. In Christ we are transformed from sinner to saint. In Christ we are given eternal, unending life. 
renowned poet, Annie Johnson Flint wrote this poem entitled The Way of the Cross. Hear these words. Some of us stay at the cross. Some of us wait at the tomb. Quickened and raised with Christ, yet lingering still in gloom. Some of us bid at the Passover feast with Pentecost all unknown. The triumphs of grace in the heavenly place that the Lord has made his own. If the Christ who died had stopped at the cross, his work had been incomplete. If the Christ who was buried had stayed in the tomb, he had only known defeat. But the way of the cross never stops at the cross. And the way of the tomb leads on to victorious grace in the heavenly place where the risen Lord Hallelujah, he is risen. Christ rose victoriously from the dead, conquering sin and death, bringing a limit to death and suffering. And one day we too will rise from the dead. We will receive a new body, the hope of eternal life, because of what Jesus has done for us on There's a story about an elderly woman who had been diagnosed with a terminal illness and had only been given a few months to live. So as she was getting her things in order, she contacted her pastor and had him come to her house to discuss certain aspects of her final wishes. She told him which songs she wanted to be sung which scriptures she would like to be read, and what outfit she would like to be buried in. Everything was in order. And as the young pastor was preparing to leave, the elderly woman stopped him briskly and said, there's one more thing. What's that? Asked the young pastor. This is of utmost importance, the old woman said. I want to be buried with a fork in my right hand. Uh, okay, the pastor said, looking at the old woman, not knowing quite what to say. Began thinking clearly this old woman is starting to lose some of her mental capabilities. But nonetheless, it is her request and I'll certainly take care of it. Several months passed, and the elderly woman kept hanging in there. And on another visit, she brings up the requirement to be buried with a fork in her right hand. Once again, the young pastor clearly gave her a look of astonishment. At this point in time, she recognized the look. She responded, that surprises you, doesn't it? Well, to be honest, the young pastor says, I am a bit puzzled by this request. Seems odd. The old woman explains. When I was a little girl, we were fairly poor. We often had very little food for dinner and never had anything extravagant. However, every Sunday after church, we'd go to my grandmother's house. And my grandmother would spoil us. Baked 
ham, fried chicken, beef stew, lobster. My grandmother would save up all week to make us an incredible meal on Sunday. But even better than her meal were her dessert. Oatmeal raisin cookies, velvety chocolate cake, deep dish apple pie, four-layer coconut cake, pumpkin cheesecake. The old woman continues, we always knew after Sunday dinner we would feast on a delicious dessert. She said after dinner my grandmother would always turn to us and say, Hold your fork. Something better is coming. And so, Pastor, when I die, I want to hold on to my fork. Because I know without a shadow of a doubt that something much better is coming. My body has failed me, but in Christ, God has promised me a new body. And so when I die, Pastor, I want to hold on to my fork. Because I know the best is yet to come. This young pastor's eyes welled up with tears of joy as he held the elderly woman and hugged her goodbye. He knew this would be one of his last times seeing her before her death. But he also knew that this old woman had a better grasp of eternal life than his seminary training had afforded him. She knew. Something better was coming. So what is the message of Easter? The message of today, hold on to your work. The best is yet to come. We live in the hope of the resurrection. Hallelujah. He is risen. Amen.